the incomparable. Number 461, May 2019. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I am your host, Jason Snell. This episode is all about books. We are uh, It's one of our two annual episodes where we look at books that are on a short list for the science fiction and fantasy novels of the year. This is for the Nebula Awards, which are given out by the Science Fiction Writers Association of America. And uh, we have all read, I believe, six books, six novel nominees. I will check in now with my panelists to see, to make sure if they've read all six or not. Aline Sims is here. Aline, did you read all six? I read all six. Do I get a nebula? No, but you get a gold <laughs> star. Sweet, I'll take and it. A, a, millions of those. Well, no, that's a galaxy. What makes a nebula? It's just gas. Anyway, okay. Your gold star is next to a nebula. Uh, awesome. But is not a nebula. Itself does not comprise a nebula. Eric Ensign, did you read all six books? I did. All the homework. Thank yes, you. Thank you. And Scott McNulty, did you read all the books? I did indeed. Oh, excellent. Excellent. Okay. Now, none of us remember any of them. <laughs> nope, true. Usually it's just me. But it's been, you know... I've almost, I'm almost through the Hugo nominees now, and, and yep. I had to think back to the Nebula nominees. But uh, six books that obviously some group of people thought were <laughs> among the best novels published in the genres of science fiction and fantasy That's in right. the last year. And I, you know, I always read books that I would not otherwise have heard of or picked up and uh, am usually given a delightful surprise by at least one of them and that's one of the reasons why i love doing these episodes is it gives me a reason to go through the short list and uh, and read the books and uh something funny happened this year i don't know if all of you will agree with this or not i would love to hear which is i i have my favorites but i liked all six of these books disagree huh. Yeah, oh. disagree. Oh, <laughs> oh dear. Well, I I will agree. All right, Scott, you and I. Yeah. <laughs> Aline are, and I are going to go do our own podcast. I'm going to say we're, every, we're splintering into two dueling podcasts <laughs> now. Agree and disagree. Well, we'll see if we if the disagreeers agree oh. on what they disagree about. This is oh, very confusing. I put all six books into random.org. And uh, that's the order in which we will speak about them. And then at the end, I'm going to cruelly make all of us, including myself, <laughs> rank them from uh, most liked to least liked so that we can generate a little table so that there's a consensus hmm. list of what we liked and what we didn't. I feel like I need to use random.org for that, too. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I suppose you could tough. just tie them all, but uh, you shouldn't. You should be forced <laughs> to put them in an order. Uh, we are going to start with a book called Witchmark by hmm. C.L. Polk. Witchmark by C.L. Polk. Witchmark, which Goodreads tells me is the first book in the Kingston cycle. Hmm. It is a fantasy novel about a, uh, a world that... So, okay. So, one of the books we read last year on one of the short lists was a book called Amberlow, which was... Um, we had a little bit of a conversation about is it fantasy or science fiction or something if it's basically all things that that could have happened on earth except they use different names for the countries um and i said it wasn't and everybody said i was wrong which is fine um <laughs> which mark really reminded me of amberlow in a lot of ways because it is similarly set in fictional countries that are still very clearly 
like a time in our history. Um, the Amber Lowe is sort of set in uh, Weimar, Germany, before the rise of the Na- or during the rise of the Nazis, and uh, Witchmark is set in sort of Edwardian England, except it's uh, except not quite uh, different country names and and all of that. We've got another book also that's with ca- kind of like this too. Clear magic, though. but mm-hmm. but that's the difference. Is there is magic <laughs> in Witchmark, <laughs> and so therefore, yes, it is a fantasy novel. Oh. Um, how did how did people uh cl polk is not an author i had ever heard of uh but i i and I, in fact i just looked up that uh the pronoun for cl polk is uh she she wrote which mark um i the story is about a uh the main character basically is a uh, very important person who's basically uh run away from his family and has sort of uh decided he doesn't want to do whatever is intended for him in his life and instead he becomes a doctor and he joins the army and he goes to a war and he we hear that he is already he was taken prisoner during the war and then released and he's working in a hospital he's tried to flee his very rich powerful important family um what we come to discover in this book is that he is actually part of a pair with his sister and these people are they're magical and they have this sort of like symbiotic magic relationship where he is supposed to be sort of attached to his sister who will be in charge and he will power her and their father is very important in the government and they keep the weather um the it's very it's weather oriented they're like they, they would be horribly <laughs> like uh devastated by um bad weather if it weren't for the magic people kind of like keeping the climate uh fine and so he is he is drawn back into his family circles while also investigating the mysterious death of a patient of his who knew who he was and uh and uh, so then he and a man he meets who turns out to be uh i guess a fairy basically elf yeah Something, yeah, yeah. yeah. fairy mm-hmm. elf magic angel guy celestial yes yes a a magical being from another plane a a Uh, fake creature they have to uh they have to solve a crime and of course it's all connected in the end because of course it is and the the thing that i liked the best was that it was connected to this mysterious malady that has struck down many of this uh this doctor's patients so it's all tied together that's part of the mystery right is that the there's the one care the one uh person who dies at the very beginning and says you know you need to you need to solve what's going on and then Mm -hmm. he's got these patients that he's treating who are uh their veterans they're war veterans and he's Mm -hmm. got they they all have these mental problems that basically we read it as ptsd and then it is um it's not right like that is part of Mm -hmm. his investigation is that he discovers that there's a a more magical story behind it and and so it is it's an interesting merger of um a kind of I don't know, almost Sherlock's Sherlock Holmesian kind of like uh, mystery where, you know, I've got to go talk to this person and talk to that person and we'll, we'll see if I can figure this out. And then this whole other aspect of it, which is the family dynamic and the, and the magic and, and him trying to kind of resist being what his family wants him to be. Um, and I should say there are um, this is a book with uh, LGBT themes because our main character is a man and the angel uh, fairy and angelic being whatever is also male and they resist for a long time their incredible attraction to one another until they just can't anymore because um spoilers but uh they 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 can't they just can't (laughs) (laughs) it cannot be resisted i couldn't resist a uh, celestial creature like that so it's yeah no lie detected (laughs) (laughs) he's apparently quite dreamy so what what did uh, you all uh, think of witch mark 
I really liked it. <laughs> I didn't. Go, Erica, go. This is, this is, I, I, this year I found it difficult. I didn't find any books that I really loved this year. Um, yeah. But with one exception, I didn't find any books that I really didn't love. It was just all a bunch of things that were interesting and fascinating to read. And this is probably more toward the top of my list because it was just it was fun to read. I enjoyed the mystery of it. It took me a little while to get into it because it is kind of it's got that Edwardian thing sort of going on. And that's not exactly my jam. But once I sort of got used to the the rhythms of the language and, you know, how much how important propriety is in this society and all that kind of stuff, I was I was sort of able to settle into it. And I like a good mystery. And I really thought that this was I like it when there's a mystery mixed up with something fantastical or science fictional. And and I thought that this book did a good job of, of melding those two. I am also a sucker for a character, like a point of view character, who runs away from their destiny and tries to escape it. Mm-hmm. So this book also had that. And uh, I really sort of liked how at the very beginning, you don't actually know that that's going on at all. And then right. it slowly sort of creeps in. And then it becomes like a really big thing. And you realize, oh, wow, this was this is this is quite a thing that he is that he's running away from. And the deeper you get into it, the less you know who to trust, because the main character doesn't really know who to trust up to and including the celestial being that he is uh, sort of falling for and and yeah and then I'm also kind of a sucker for fairies come to earth type stories so it had that aspect too uh, it, was, it was a lot of things that that were sort of mixed up well I thought um, and and none of it took over the story too much to make it feel unbalanced to me so it was all of these things put together with like a healthy dollop of of a romance novel feel which mm-hmm. I also enjoy so uh, so yeah I really I really enjoyed Witchmark and I will probably read the next book whenever it comes out Scott what uh, would you think of this one I I also enjoyed it. Uh, I what? I liked the. I know it's crazy. Uh, the system of magic was interesting to me. I like the yeah. scene. You know the idea that the the fancy pants people have magic and and there's a primary and a secondary and the secondary has lesser powers like you know healing people but it's not as important as controlling the weather. They, yeah, they, yeah they, right. they demean it. Right. It's like oh you've got this trick that you could perform and I I, I felt a uh, I felt an almost parallel with sort of like saying it's women's work kind of like a gender mm-hmm. role thing where it's sort of like yeah. there's the class A and then everything else is sort of dismissed as yeah it's helpful I guess but it's not important and that's right. you're just we're going to use you as a battery for the real important right. work basically uh, nobody cares about your little trick so of go, healing you know. people or whatever <laughs> who cares exactly whatever uh, I can make it rain uh, and, uh, and I like to see where the, the someone's house is burning down and a fancy car pulls up and a woman comes out and makes it rain and she leaves uh, I thought that was an effective way to kind of introduce you don't really know what's going on at that moment and then you it slowly becomes clear what is happening um, and, and so I enjoyed that I liked uh, the fact that this is I don't know if this is really an alternate history, kind of, maybe? I'm going to say no, because I don't like alternate history, and I like this. <laughs> These countries don't exist, right? So it's, right. it's so, like, like Amber Lowe. It's sort of like it echoes our history, but isn't. Yeah, so I, I like the fact that it is not based on World War II. Uh, because no, it's very World War one Right, yes, post World like War One feeling, depending on where what war. Uh, but uh, yeah, 
not World War II. I've had enough of uh, World War II influenced stories. Hmm. Uh, thank you very much. So uh, yeah, take that World War II. It's uh, <laughs> my, my hot take. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. Pearl Harbor can suck it. Anyway, <laughs> that's right. Uh, but yeah, I really enjoyed it. I liked the the romance. Uh, I liked the the whole society angle. I liked the you know her, how uh, the main character is trying to resist his place in life, and then he kind of. Uh, tries to you know he's basically defeated by it and he he has to for the good of the country he thinks help go back to where he was supposed to be and then it all turns out horribly wrong uh, so i enjoyed it all mm-hmm. also jason you mentioned the lgbtq angle and i thought it was interesting that this society uh in this society it's sort of perfectly acceptable for a man to fool around with another man when he's younger but as he ages it's expected then that he settles down with a woman and has children and that sort of thing yeah so, and so, this, so the, the social dynamics are different like they're not they're yeah. not they're, there's still some discrimination happening there but it's mm-hmm. much more of a uh, aren't you too old for this sort of thing kind of exactly thing which is yep. an interesting dynamic yeah which i like mm-hmm. aline so i liked all of those no i liked most of those things <laughs> i no. i really appreciated the the lgbtq themes i appreciated that um it, People did not bat an eye at like a same gender relationship. Uh, I, I appreciated all of that. Um, I'm not big into romance novels. Um, and I'm wondering if that's why this just didn't land for me that it was, it felt more about the romance oh. notes than it did the other notes to me. And I just, I just couldn't get into it. Um, There's so much to love. As you guys are talking, I'm like nodding my head. Yes. Yes. Totally agree. Totally on board. But it just didn't come together for me. And I, I have struggled to identify why exactly, but I just thought it was boring and I could not, I could not get into it. Yeah. I actually, I know what you're saying because I, although I said, so, I said I liked all of the books I read. I think I'm going to rank this one last. Um, and I liked it. But I was thinking about how this book has a lot of the same themes as Deadline, which is one of my very favorite discoveries. Uh, not Deadline, uh, Borderline. As Borderline, which is one of my favorite discoveries of the short list of the last few years. And that's a whole series. It, it is similar in that they're sort of like there's... There's like fairy people and, and then the real world people and there's an interesting magic system and there's actually an idea where magic is being used by powerful people in questionable ways and there's a sort of subjugated class of people with magic powers and it's there, there are a lot of parallels between um, Witchmark and the Borderline series. There are a lot of differences too. Borderline is a a, a you know present day our our world kind of setting and this is is not this is Edwardian England style alternate country kind of setting but a lot of the same themes I thought and what struck me was as I was reading it is I devoured Borderline and Witchmark was kind of a grind and I think it <laughs> is that it is just not as I think I would put it down to the prose I think. It's just kind of more of a chore because the writing isn't as as good as the yep. writing of a book like Borderline. And because all the pieces are there and I didn't dislike it, but it felt like just more of a, gr- a grind. 
that, and that's the best way I can describe it is it took more work for me to get through this than something like Borderline, which I ripped through, even though I appreciate a lot of the themes that have a lot of similarities. So I think maybe that's Aline. I mean, that's that was my reaction is that I, I, I feel similar maybe to you in that it's just kind of harder to read like not as fun yeah it felt more like when you talked about Sherlock Holmes like it felt more like an older style prose I think maybe for sure kind of the same way that you know everybody years ago was so in love with Jonathan Strange and Mr. whatever his face is yeah thank you um like I tried reading that and I was so incredibly (laughs) bored and I think maybe that's just part of it is it it Mm -hmm. had maybe an older feeling type of prose and I just couldn't 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 do it yeah I think that's a a stylistic choice of the 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 part of the author and if the style doesn't click with you it's it's not gonna work (laughs) yeah yeah I I I think that I could have possibly completely fallen in love with this book and this could have been like a, a book that I discovered that I truly loved this year yeah if it, if it wasn't for that so I definitely see that as like an extra it's like an extra level of difficulty that you have to hurdle before you can get into the rest of the story and and even I definitely found it more difficult to read I'm actually currently I decided to take a break from awards reading and I'm reading um the first of Naomi Novik's uh dragon novels uh Temerar, Temerar, I think yeah. it's called mm-hmm. yep and I am finding that same same trouble. I really am enjoying the story, uh, but boy, the language is tough to get past. So um, I, I, I feel like Witchmark was maybe a little bit easier than I'm, mm. I'm finding this current novel that I'm reading. But uh, but yeah, it's it's like adding sort of a, a, a an extra layer on there that makes it a little harder to engage with the story. So I can totally see that. This episode of The Incomparable is brought to you by ExpressVPN. We can probably all hold our hands up and admit cybercrime is scary, but it's not our problem. We don't need to worry about it, right? We're fine. We're fine. We're safe. Well, hmm. Yeah. Okay. So here's the thing. You probably shouldn't use public Wi-Fi unencrypted because you are using an unencrypted data connection and that is very bad. Um, I can think of a way to encrypt your data connection so that nobody can spy on you, see what you're doing, not even your ISP. And it is using a VPN like ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN works by securing and anonymizing your internet browsing. It encrypts your data. It hides your public IP address with easy-to-use apps that run seamlessly in the background of your device. You can turn on ExpressVPN protection with just one click, and that's it. You're free to safely surf on public Wi-Fi without being snooped on or having your personal data stolen. It was rated the number one VPN service by TechRadar. It comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. Couldn't be easier to use. I installed it on my iPad and in a couple of taps... I was someone else, somewhere else, and all my data was not being spied on by my ISP or by that guy in the corner of my local Starbucks. For less than $7 a month, you can get that same ExpressVPN protection. If you ever use public Wi-Fi and you want to keep the bad guys away from your data, you need ExpressVPN. Go to expressvpn.com snell to learn more, protect your online activity today, and find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com snell. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S vpn.com slash snell for three months free with a one-year package thank you to expressvpn for supporting the incomparable all right uh let's move on to our next one as randomly selected which is speaking of naomi novik spinning silver um which is a uh similar so similar to uprooted which i think was last year 
Um, this is a novel that is sort of trying to take a classic kind of fairy tale concept and turn it into it, like remix it and turn it into something that is almost unrecognizable from the classic fairy tale concept. Um, and uh, but to take it seriously and take the concept seriously. And so in Spinning Silver, it is loosely based on Rumpelstiltskin. There is somebody who can turn essentially a straw into gold, but it's actually there's a it's a girl who becomes a kind of a money lender and she ends up being very good at it and she gets the money back and she reinvests it and she makes a lot of money. And uh, this is the, you know, it is more of a metaphorical silver into gold, but uh, she ends up being found by these magical people that they live kind of in fear of who are, again, we've got a dichotomy between kind of a fairy fairy world, a magic world, and the regular world. Um, and these are the kind of like frozen uh, winter people who keep the keep it cold in the winter and uh, they want to uh, they want her to change uh, silver into gold for them and we end up with other characters because we get a we get a uh, a uh uh, a girl who ends up kind of like filling in for the money changer's daughter. And then there's a, there's a, a different girl who is betrothed to the king. So you've got sort of three women uh, who are main characters. Uh, and we discover that there's this kind of ice king in the fairy realm. There is the actual king in this realm, but he's possessed by a fire demon. So we got a like fire and ice dichotomy going on. Um, there is, uh, which is Chernobog from um, Eastern European mythology, I think. So uh, there's a lot going on here where she's telling, she takes Rumpelstiltskin and uh, uh, spins it out uh, huh, huh, into something uh, much, much <laughs> bigger and, and broader than, uh, than what was there before. And this is quite a, this is a 480 page book. This is, de- this is definitely a long novel. Uh, who would like to let me know what they think first? I thought I thought it was good. Um I didn't like it quite as much as I liked Uprooted. Uh but I I enjoyed it. I liked how she kind of she stitched everything together. At first when she had these three different stories, I was like I don't I'm not sure how they're going to come together, but I I liked it a lot. I liked um I liked the the Winter King. I liked the magic system. I I really I really did enjoy reading it. It did get a little long there at the end. I I don't remember exactly what I thought could be cut out, but I was like, I feel like this could have been tightened up a little bit, maybe yeah. a little bit less in whatever area that was I was thinking at the time. But I liked it. I, I thought it I thought it was good. I thought it was stitched together really well. And I really, really love stories of you know, women being resilient. And this is definitely full of women being resilient. And I I like it a lot. I was uh, uh, mistakenly under the impression that this was a sequel to Uprooted. Me too. So I went back and reread Uprooted before I read this. And I really liked Uprooted the first time. And I really liked it the second time. And then I read Spinning Silver. And it wasn't it wasn't in the same. I mean, maybe it's in the same universe somewhere else. Um, but it didn't feel like the same universe. Right. And it was very different and much, much longer, or at least it felt longer. And uh, so I still I did like Spinning Silver. But I felt like honestly, I felt like the prose was almost more of an obstacle in this than it was in Witchmark. It didn't have that sort of old fashioned style in the same way but it's sort of written very uh 
uh, almost cold, <laughs> like, you know, brief, short sentences that sort of, you know, are, are right to the point and in a lot of places. And I just I, I found myself having to reread bits and pieces because I just couldn't quite parse exactly what was what was meant by things. So I think there was some sort of old timey jargon that was thrown in there, even if the, all of the language wasn't, wasn't super old timey, but I really did enjoy the, uh, the, you know, resilient uh, women in this story. It's, it was nice to see three women who are very much in charge of their own, of their own destiny. And, you know, sometimes things happen that they couldn't control, but they made choices uh, all along the way that sort of got them to the places where they ended up. And I, I appreciated that. And I especially appreciated when they finally sort of uh, everything came together. And you had those women sometimes working together, sometimes not working together, sometimes working at cross purposes. And, and that was very interesting. But it just it seemed like it took so long for anything to happen that this was not my favorite of of all of the books because it just it it felt kind of slow and draggy. And as much as I enjoyed seeing these women uh, do the things that they they were doing, I didn't. I felt like none of these characters were pulling at my heartstrings in the way some of the characters in in other books sometimes do. So it didn't end up I didn't end up loving it, but I, I still I still solidly liked it. And I plan on, you know, picking up the next Naomi Novik book that that comes around. I just I kind of hope it's a little more uprooted and a little less spinning silver. Yeah, I don't know what it is because I loved uprooted so much. And mm-hmm. I thought this I again, I liked it. I thought it was fine. Yeah. But it, you know, it does, it does, I think Aline said, um, it goes on too long. I think it absolutely goes on too long. There's a point, Mm -hmm. I don't know, two thirds of the way through it where it feels very much like it's wrapping up and then she makes a narrative decision and then it goes on for another, I don't know, 200 pages, 150 pages, Mm. seemed like forever. And I felt like, um, she just kind of, I don't know, maybe didn't want to stop. Um, but it, it, (laughs) it felt really weird like the book just decided to swerve and keep going and i was kind of ready for it to be at an end at that point and the writing style like i don't entirely agree because i read the first two chapters of this and i thought oh my god this is so well written she's so good at this i feel like i've read i've read two amazing short stories but they're interconnected and there's going to be more but i have to say the further the book goes, the less I felt that. And the more I, it, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't want to diagnose a writer's book. She knows how the writing came about, but it feels kind of like it got away from her and that it went in places that she wasn't really anticipating. And maybe she didn't make, you know, cut some stuff out uh, that she felt like she didn't need to because she's a very successful writer at this point. But it felt to me like this book was too long and that there were things in it that should have come out. Um, It's not that it's bad because I did enjoy the whole thing, but um, it it is strangely paced and it feels like the last part of it is uh, a lot less essential than the first part of it for some reason. I don't know. I, I had similar feelings. And the very end felt a little abrupt to me, too, like on top of that. Yeah, I mean, there there comes a time where there's a re- resolution, but there's this piece sort of toward the end where it, it starts to get, I, I feel like, really muddled 
for a while and there's there's some labored stuff too where there's like the that cabin in the woods that's in the two universes at once and i feel like um the book goes a long time where it's like but it's the same and they can't see each other and i thought yeah i got that like i got that hundreds of pages ago uh, but the uh the book wants us to be more surprised by it and it, i didn't find it remotely surprising so i had a few moments of that which is like why are you telling why are you talking more about the fact that they you know they put a thing here and it disappears and it reappears over there it's like we got it already i don't know i don't know Scott, what did you think? Uh, well, I went to look up how long Uprooted was versus this book. And so this Spinning Silver is about 40 pages longer than Uprooted was. That's it feels all, huh? Exactly. <laughs> it felt to me like it was maybe 120 pages yep. longer than yep. uh, Uprooted. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know why. Uh, I will say that I still think Naomi Nevik is a, a fantastic writer, uh, and I enjoyed reading it. I think that I will echo what everyone else said. And I think she just had so many ideas, she wanted to stuff it in this book, <laughs> and so she kept stuffing stuff in. Uh, and it's all interesting, but I don't know if it all needed to be in the book. Uh, I was, frankly, much more interested in uh, the character when it was about how, you know, so the, one of the three women is Jewish, and so I found it very interesting the whole family and how they're kind of ostracized because they are moneylenders and everybody hates them, but they need them because, and so she's turning silver into gold through that, like, you know, metaphorically. And then she actually has the power to literally turn silver into gold, which, you know, I saw coming, I suppose, because it's in the name of the book. But uh, I thought it was more interesting when it wasn't all the magic. And I didn't really like the whole, the interludes in the, the mystical winter ice mountain yeah. that had a was melting and then there's a crack and she's turning everything to gold and I was like I don't need to know about these silent people and they stand in icy forests like I don't really care about them but I did like it <laughs> the fact that that uh, Miriam is Jewish I thought was uh interesting and I like that because because like you said it it um Naomi Novik who who has a Jewish parent um I I think um leans into something i told i told um lauren who is jewish my wife um that mm-hmm. that this book leans into something that i think a lot of books might shy away from which is um jewish characters and uh and like they're they're the money lenders in the town which is such a stereotype and is used mm-hmm. a lot in in anti-semitic kind of imagery but is also has some basis in history and um she portrays that you know the whole picture here which is they're relied upon and yet also um treated with very little respect and um it becomes clear to miriam at several points that basically she can't count on the people of her town because they don't consider her part of the town even though she grew up there and right. uh it, it uh naomi novik engages with that whole aspect of that uh in a way that i thought was really good because yeah all the stuff in the town and the stuff with the brother and the sister and the abuse of father and like there's so much of that that's really good and i agree a little of turning things into gold in a big room in a castle above a mountain made of ice 
goes a long way. <laughs> yes. And I did like, I thought it was even, so, you know, when we're in the village and she is, you know, uh, dealing with her social status and how she's important, but everybody, nobody likes her family. Uh, but she has these memories of, you know, her, her grandfather is an important man. And so, you know, when she, she goes to visit him, you think, well, clearly he's important, so he'll be treated with respect. But no, he's important, but he's only allowed to have a fancy house in a certain area. Right. And he only goes to visit the, the Duke, I think, is it, or King? I don't remember what royalty. Uh, like, no one can know that he's important and he's visiting the Duke because right. he's Jewish. And so he can't really, he's not allowed to be recognized, but they, the kingdom wouldn't run without him. So I just thought it was all very interesting. Mm-hmm. I really liked the uh, the scenes where, where Miriam goes to visit her, her grandfather because uh, Miriam's mm. father has not been very good at being a moneylender because uh, he's too kind-hearted is kind of what it comes down to <laughs> is, in her mind. Um, and, and yeah, and her grandfather is much more like she is very practical and willing to just, you know, get the job done. And, you know, she's she's accidentally sort of made this pact with the, the Sterex the the winter people and you know comes clean to her grandfather in one scene and he's he's again just super practical about it and is like okay here's what we're gonna do you're gonna you're we're gonna make this happen and you're gonna go here and you're gonna talk to this person and we're gonna make it work and you know good on you for being my granddaughter and you know getting things done i just i i i really liked of all of the different characters in the book i think the relationship between those two was the one that stuck out the most because they actually they were two people that really were on the same page and understood each other in a way that I don't think any other two characters in the book really did. I, I li- again, it's one of those things where I didn't like it as much as four of the other books that I read out of these six. <laughs> but it, I didn't dislike it. I just it, I had more problems with it than I had the others. But I did enjoy reading it. And I think Naomi Novik is a really good writer. And mm-hmm. I I suppose that means that at some point I will also. I think I bought the first one of the Temeraire books. I will get there at some point because mm-hmm. I, I you know I I loved Uprooted and I and I liked Spinning Silver. There's a lot of good stuff in there. It's just there's something strange about it that no, there's just I don't know something about it. It's too, cold. Too, too much, much gold just, in there. It's cold. A little too much. Too a little much too much book. Uh, it it dra- it just dragged for me at the end. That's the funny thing is that I was actually really into it and reading it fast, and then the last part of it, I was it, it turned into more effort and i think yeah. that's a sign that it just i feel like the i liked the end better than i liked the beginning i felt like it was dragging until hmm. maybe the part that you thought it picked up or that it slowed down is where i thought it See, picked up you, can't, like, oh. you just can't please anyone or everyone no. or nope somebody all the time that's why i don't do anything yeah that's good 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 uh, good choice good choice let's move on to um trail of lightning by rebecca Rowanhorse. this is a story about a young woman who has been trained as a monster hunter, a a supernaturally gifted killer. Um, This is in a post-apocalyptic world where the seas have risen and most of modern civilization, American civilization, has fallen apart. But on the Navajo reservation, they're doing fine. Uh, Although the gods and uh, monsters of their their, uh, religion and their legend are, are real, there's like a coyote and you know and they're like, back they're, they, they've come back as a part of the <laughs> end of the the of the white people's world uh they have come back to the navajo and um we so we have to learn about what the what life is like on on the land 
And what Maggie has been trained, she's got a kind of dark past that is only revealed sort of as we go. And we learn about this world that she inhabits. But she's also has a job to do, which is often terrible. And when we meet her, she is trying to find somebody, uh, uh, what, a little girl who's been taken up into the mountains by a monster. And she discovers the monster, but she also discovers that the little girl has already been basically bitten by the vampire monster whatever and is going to become a monster and uh so she has to kill a little girl because mm-hmm. the little girl's going to be a monster too and that's how we meet maggie and and basically that's the book saying yeah it's really messed up this is why she is the way she is because it's <laughs> super messed up and then from there we find out that she's been trained by somebody who is of a questionable background and there may be more to that story and there's kind of like uh a, a couple of different plots that go back and forth where we're getting her history and we're get, learning about the land and this is uh that is basically the trail of lightning or as i like to think of it um Navajo Buffy the Vampire Slayer. <laughs> <laughs> There's also a love story in this one as well, or a, somewhat of a romance of, kind of yeah, yeah. flirtation. Yeah, yeah. Flirtation, yeah. right. So I don't tend to like urban fantasy. Uh, and I guess this is more like a rural fantasy, I guess, but <laughs> urban because fantasy. they're not in a city. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. but it felt very urban fantasy to me, uh, just minus the city. Uh, but I, I, I say that to set up the fact that I really like this book uh, because I, I enjoy it when I am reading a book from a perspective that is very different than my own and I am not a Native American. Uh, so it was interesting to read about this um, and kind of, you know, the parallels. The author uh, said, you know, she hadn't read much uh, many depictions of Native Americans in, uh, a, you know, sci-fi fantasy. So she decided to write one herself, um, and I thought she did a good job. She also mentioned kind of, you know, this apocalypse that happens uh, is not really the first apocalypse for the Native Americans. Like they, when when uh, America was colonized, uh, that was kind of their apocalypse and their right. world ended. Right. So this is really just like they were preparing. They were prepared for this, so it was not that big a leap for them. So so, uh, and that just gives another whole uh, level of uh, interest for. I was going to say enjoyment, but that seems like something I shouldn't enjoy. But uh, interest uh, to th- to the book uh, and i liked uh, maggie as a character she's uh, no nonsense she has a job to do uh she's got a complicated backstory uh she has you know limited friends she doesn't trust people mm-hmm. for good reason uh so I, I liked it a lot surprisingly i did not i did not expect to like this book but i did erica i also really like this book when it comes to just like the ease of reading i found this one just so easy to dive into and when i would put it down i would be thinking about you know when when can i pick it up again when can i find out what happens next um i i do like urban fantasy but i don't i don't really like the desert just sort of in general that's not a a backdrop in in the real world or in books that I totally love. <laughs> oh no, I'm sorry, I make you play Dark Sun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know how you got me to do that, um, but but yeah. So the the setting was definitely not not like a comfortable place for me. But I felt like maybe that was all to the good because, like Scott said, it's 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 fun to read about um, and from perspectives that are different from my own. So I, I definitely felt like I was getting a very different perspective on the world, both from a setting standpoint as well as from a cultural standpoint. So it was all, it all sort of felt like it kind of blended together really well. And it, it, was, it was really interesting 
to see the depiction of of the gods and you know sort of how different that is from the way gods are often depicted in like you know European old-fashioned fairy tale type fantasy where you know sometimes it's similar and sometimes it's not so similar and th- these uh, these gods felt very much more down to earth I guess would be at least certainly um, certainly the the coyote god that is uh, meddling in and out of, of her life quite a bit from the beginning to the end mm-hmm. um, of her life if not just the book and and yeah and there's there's a lot of um, what is actually happening and who again who can you trust that was something that I was was enjoying um, in uh, in Witchmark, as I mentioned before, I enjoyed that here too. That that Maggie is not entirely sure who to trust, so she basically just doesn't trust anybody. She's she's that kind of character, and it was it was fun to read that, but at the same time, I found it a little bit. You know, this is a, another post apocalyptic book, and that those those kind of stories are starting to wear on me because uh, I just feel like apocalypses are not necessarily as far off as I used to think they were. So it's harder and harder to read <laughs> yeah. those kinds of books. Mm-hmm. Um, so so that was maybe a, a mark against the book, but it's not really the fault of of, of the book. That's more of a <laughs> that's more the fault of the real world and me. So, but I did I did really really enjoy the book. Aline, what about you? I loved it. Um, <laughs> so I grew up in southwest, southwestern Colorado, um, near the Navajo Nation. And, you know, my, my, some of the first jobs I had, I worked with members of the Navajo tribe. I grew up hearing the language, you know, not that I understood or whatever, but I would hear people talking to each other. So, this was very much like coming home in a lot of ways to me. So I grew up, you know, kind of the foothills of the Rockies, kind of, but also kind of the high desert. And I don't know, it was just, I don't want to claim representation in this that doesn't actually exist, but it was so close to my home and people I recognized and grew up with and um, areas I know well. And it was just... It was so good from that standpoint. And then on top of that, hearing stories of Coyote, the trickster god, and all of this, like, Coyote's introduced, and I'm like, yeah, you're up to no good. You know, just because (laughs) I know these stories, I grew up with these stories, and it was so cool to have those in this book. And, um, you know, me getting that as a white woman... Um, just being adjacent to the culture. I'm so glad that she wrote it for people who actually belong to this culture. And it's just, it's a good book. The story is good. The characters are good. Um, It, it was, it was just, it was so good. I, I don't know. I really, I really, really loved it. Yeah. I loved it too. Um, I thought it was great. I, uh, you know, Buffy, is my favorite TV show. And this is, it gave me those vibes. I really like, you know, it is a, it is a young woman who is kind of on her own and it, it has a task to do that is unpleasant, but no one else is going to do it. And so she knows she has to have had that responsibility uh, to, to do it. She gets in trouble. She makes mistakes. Um, she's got this past that turns out is a real, a bigger burden and problem than we realize at the beginning even the book sort of says so but then you get late in the book and you're like oh no that's really bad like it's uh it's well done you've got yes feuding gods and people with power 
trying to fight it out amid this very strange kind of post-apocalyptic for the world outside but but kind of good for the world inside um setting really unique setting um yes as scott said the flavor of uh of characters and a world that we haven't seen before because this is uh, a native american author talking about a yeah it's a world that i don't i have not read a lot about um that part is fun too so uh yeah i thought it was great i thought it was a a uh, and i i i loved to erica's point um I just I kept thinking about it when I wasn't reading it and go, wanting to go back to it, and that's one of the greatest signs that you're really loving a book is if uh, you aren't making an effort to get to get through it, you are just flying through it, and that is absolutely how I felt about Trail of Lightning. It's great. All right, let's move on to the Poppy War by R. F. Quang. Uh, this is a book. How do I how do I describe this? Um, the first part of it is um well okay let me back up it is another book where there are countries and stuff that are not in existence in our world um uh but it is very clearly paralleling china in the 20th century and there's very clearly a kind of japan analog but it's not they it, it, and and there's and there's magic right so it's it's not um very similar to which mark it is like our world but not our world um and the first part of it feels very harry pottery to me in the sense that it is about somebody who is from out in the middle of nowhere who never gets into the big academy in this world where all of the great uh people are trained who go into the the military or or the government or whatever but uh this character qualifies and gets to go um and uh what happens is that uh she's uh uh she's ostracized uh but then she's sort of like mentored by somebody who turns out to be much more important than you think and and i thought like i know where this book is going i see what is happening here uh and it's fun and these the magic system and the powers and and the different schools of the of the of the of the uh within the school all very interesting that's like the first third of the book maybe the first half yeah, let your kids read this book. It's a great uh, for eight-year-olds. So that part of it really did remind me of like like a coming-of-age story, right? With, mm-hmm. with some oh, difficult yeah, stuff, totally. but it is a coming-of-age story. And then what happens is the war starts and um, things get really bad really fast. And the, uh, the characters have to uh, go off and fight in the war and uh and there's there are like extended scenes where they're um off in various places and have to use you know various uh, magical powers that they've got to horribly kill people or be horribly killed by other people and then you know and they end up with a kind of like going to the place where all the gods are trapped uh to let them out but this is like there's it gets what i'm saying is it takes a turn and it gets kind of rough. I mean, in terms of tone and, and dark <laughs> kind of. And, um, I, so I really liked the first part and the rest of it. I liked, I was more kind of surprised that it was all happening in the same book. And I kind of felt by the time I got to the end of the poppy war, I felt like I had read three different books. 
um, one of which I loved and two of which continued the story with those characters, but were of a very different tone and were, um, you know, a little, were kind of more, I don't know, uh, unpleasant in terms of their content, but not not uh, poorly done by any stretch of the imagination. So very strange feelings for me about, about the Poppy War because there were parts of it that I thought were fantastic, but um, as the story progressed, it was not at all what I thought that it was going to be. Aline, what'd you think of this one? I'm sitting here nodding. So I've read this in December and I've been trying all day to remember like how I felt about it as I was reading it or after I read it. I remember really, again, like you said, liking the first part and also liking you know, the subsequent parts. Um, I think I, I glommed on to kind of the more magical mythological pieces than the, the military war pieces, because that's not really my, my bag is that like, I, I, I skip scenes if I can of, of military and strategy and that kind of stuff. And so there, there are some militaristic things in here that I didn't like so much. It's, it's so well written. Um, and the characters, I really, really like the characters, especially that teacher. Um, I liked him a lot. Uh, but I don't know. I remember really liking it at the time, but now I'm sitting here thinking about it and going, but what, what was it I really liked about it? And what did I maybe not like so much? And I can't remember. And I'm a little bit worried that it's not memorable enough. Oh, boy. Oh, um, boy. <laughs> this, is, this is the only book that I had no trouble uh, putting on my list of ranking because it is so far below all of the other ones <laughs> that, uh, that it's easy. And I, w- I will agree that this book is very well written. Um, I think that, uh, that Quang is a, a, a very good good writer this book was just super not for me um the 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 beginning part i usually like uh the kind of story where you know a a kid is is plopped into you know a kid from like kind of a poor background is plopped into a a richy rich school and has to get by there but i didn't like the character Mm. she from the beginning seemed very uh, angry and made a lot of choices that were foolish and i mean yes that's how you sometimes get drama but it just it all kind of started to rub me the wrong way and even while she's still at school um you know she gets she gets her teacher who i did think was a really cool character i I liked Mm. him a lot uh but uh but she's sort of presented with this idea and i i kind of went okay at some point in this book by the end, she's going to have to make a choice sort of between going in, in one direction, kind of a more pacifist direction or the more sort of warlike direction. And I was like, oh, she's going to make the choice that I'm going to hate, isn't she? And <laughs> she did, um, yeah. which is not big. Not, that's not like a big spoiler because the rest of the book is is all about war. Um, oh, but so, she carried so, a pig up a mountain. That was and that was interesting. Like the, the I would say that the the first part of the book, the school part of the book, I thought was all right. Like that that was fine. And then when it started to evolve and change, uh, yeah, it turned into a war book. And I don't like war stories like really at all, um, even when there's magic. And the magic was was kind of interesting but because I didn't really care about the main character or the other characters that she was except for her good friend and I can't remember his name but uh <clears throat> like the one guy that she makes friends with in the school manages to pop up again and again a few times later in the book and and I kind of liked him but when the only character that you really like is somebody who 
isn't there the whole time and is only a side character when he is. That's not not a super great thing. And then there was one particular sequence where they enter the city that had been completely sacked by like the other side of the war. Right. And there are just bodies and body parts everywhere. And there's very, very specific and graphic descriptions of what was done to these people before they died and what was done to the women who were kept alive in relaxation houses, uh, women and children. Um, and it just, it, I, I found it literally stomach turning. And like, I, I don't think I've ever really wanted to scrub a book out of my mind hmm. before, but if I could take some sort of memory altering, altering drug, I would literally just choose to forget this entire book. But that is what the Japanese did in China. I mean, right. that, that, right. that's why it is being yeah. told that way. And, that, and so I went with it because I'm like, I see what you're doing here. Oh, yeah. Um, what I was going <laughs> to say is that the, the, before that, there's the extended scene where they're kind of like in that city and then they go out to the marshes and all of that and they're right on the coast there. And I thought that was an interesting kind of set piece. Um, but the way I would describe it, since I said the first part's kind of like Harry Potter, I'd be like, imagine in the middle of the fifth year of Harry Potter, instead of having a fun tournament, they took all of them and put them in the middle of a war zone and gave them orders to kill a lot of people with their magic powers. Because that's basically what happens is there's a group of these students and former students who had these various capabilities and they are like really messed up. I mean, I, I was going to say it's also, it reminded me like a, maybe of the X-Men or something where it's like they're young people with powers who are being, but now they're being used in this case by a military force and the, the, um, ethics of it are i I was gonna say questionable but it's like you don't need to question it they're bad like (laughs) they're bad it's not a good idea and it doesn't go well for them um and i thought that was fascinating but it also was it was not fun at Mm -mm. all (laughs) and i was mentally not prepared for that, especially after the beginning of the book. it gets darker and darker and darker, and they get to the mm-hmm. place that where almost everybody's died. And then from there, it's sort of like, now let's go to where all the gods are jailed up, where you can basically sacrifice your soul in order to, or, or loose monsters on the world. Those are your choices, as you can like, would you like to win this war? Well, one way to do it is to loose the most dangerous monsters ever seen by humanity <laughs> on your opposition. And when they're done with them, they'll kill you too, but you could spite them all and that's the decision that the characters sort of have to make at the end which is uh yeah it's it's pretty dark scott it yes i i agree with everyone that it was very well written very dark uh kind of abruptly dark uh, it's a surprise it does uh, happen fast <laughs> yes uh don't 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 let your kids read this book no. uh or, or you should read it first and then you'll say i shouldn't let my kids read this book <laughs> um, but that's your choice not mine uh you're you're, you're responsible parents uh i assume but that being said, I enjoyed it. Uh, I thought it was well-written, uh, compelling, kind of, uh, once again, in a setting and a perspective that uh, I don't know all that much about, but is an important period of history that should not be forgotten. Uh, so I think that it serves a per- uh, an important purpose uh, culturally uh, and you know, sometimes when you say that about books, it means it's not very good, but it's uh, it, it, it serves a purpose. But I did think it was well written and enjoyable uh, for certain definitions of the word enjoyable, uh, <laughs> because it is difficult to read uh, because of the horrific things that are happening right. that are doubly horrific because you know they're based on real, real things, things that happened yeah i i think we've described it in a way that explains why some of us liked it and some of us didn't like it <laughs> mm-hmm. and as a listener you 
probably now know <laughs> whether this yes, is a book you, know you want to read it or whether not. Whether you should read it or not. Yeah, if you decide you want to read it, uh, it's good. It's just, you know, like if Let's it sounds start. like it's something warned. you're going to like. Like, I think it's <laughs> actually, I would have, expectations are a funny thing. People talk about like, oh, I don't want to be spoiled and all that. Like, I think it's very useful to know going into the Poppy War that what it's not is a delightful coming-of-age story about people <laughs> uh-huh. who have magic powers right. who are learning at a special school. Because while that happens, it also stops happening, and then other then it, you know it all gets a little too real after that. <laughs> so yeah, I can imagine someone like reading the first couple pages in a bookstore and thinking, "Oh, this is a cute young adult book that I should buy for you know my mm, whatever." Yeah. My, and, and that's mm-hmm. not you shouldn't no, uh, no. buy this thinking it's not. a cute young adult book that's, because it is not it is young not. adult at all. No. All right, that brings us to book number five of six, which is Blackfish City by Sam J. Miller. This is a book that is set also post-climate change apocalypse on a floating city in the Arctic Circle. The oceans have risen. This is a floating city over a geothermal vent. It's got sustainable energy. There's a whole culture. There are sort of like the poor parts and the rich people parts, the rich people who own the land and then the people who kind of are squatting. And there's a whole society that's built up here. Um, A woman riding on the back of an orca with a polar bear as their companion arrives. And this surprises everybody. And they're... um, this is uh, the the talk of the floating city, but uh, actually it also kicks off the plot and there are other characters that we meet who are connected in unexpected ways to the woman on the orca. And along the way, we also learn about a strange disease that is infecting the, the population that is spreading, but is being suppressed sort of by the, uh, by the authorities called the breaks. And one of our main characters is is coming down with it. Another character, another viewpoint character is uh, getting it or spreading it or both. Uh, <laughs> and uh, that, you know, and then, and then it all kind of starts to come together where all these connections get made. And uh, there are some surprising uh, things that happen to the society and, uh, and the central government of Blackfish City. So, uh, Erica, what'd you think of this one? I... Loved this book so much. <laughs> and I, I'm not even entirely sure why, because I I think there there were a lot of bits and pieces of it that just didn't really appeal to me. But there was something about it that just sort of reached out and grabbed me. And this was another one where I did not want to put it down. And every time I put it down, I wanted to pick it back up. And when I finished reading it, I had about three days where in my head, I'd be like, oh, I should pick that back. Oh, no, it's over. Like that, that doesn't happen with every book for me. And it really did with Blackfish City very strongly. And I think it was just because the world building was so good. Well, the, specifically the city building. I really felt like this was a a city that I could picture in my head. And, you know, it's got these eight arms that sort of stick out into the ocean and it's heated by, I don't know, I don't, a volcano or yeah, something yeah, like that yeah. underneath. It's like volcanic yeah. vents, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, there's the the richy sections and then the poor sections. And uh, we've got all of these different point of view characters. And I can't actually say that I truly liked any of the point of view characters at all. But I was interested in what they were doing. And I was interested in how they interacted with the city around them and how their interactions with the city were very different from each other, depending on sort of what class in the city 
they came from. They had access to very different ways of transportation. The food that they ate was different. Uh, the the people that they ran into, how much risk they took just from you know sort of being out on the street. There's one one kid who sleeps in basically a box that's just barely big enough for him to to lay down, and he has to rent it for the night. And then there's the guy who has access to however many apartments he wants because he's super super rich. Right. Um, and I just I found myself wanting to come back. And figure out what's happening with the breaks, like this mysterious uh, disease that has something to do with, with being infected with other people's memories somehow. Um, but then it was interspersed with these uh, city without a map, which is kind of like it's like a, a podcast almost yep. that um, at first the characters or some of the characters think that it's it's kind of like a, an introductory course for people who are new to the city. And each episode is read, read by a different person. And sometimes they're in different languages. And I actually found those really kind of interminable and I didn't enjoy them. They were pretty. They were very poetic. Um, but I just kind of found myself skimming through them to get to the next thing that was happening in the book. And uh, sort of as I was reading it, it, it sometimes I'd be like, oh, this is okay. This is fine. But then I would I would put it down and I would just want to pick it right back up again. So it just it had some addictive property to it, I guess. That uh, that really, really, really worked on me because I thought it was great, even if I didn't really care all that much about the people. I wanted to know what they were doing and mm. where they were doing it. Scott? So this book reminded me a lot of uh, 2312 by uh, Kim Stanley Robinson. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me uh, too, except I like this one. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. I really liked 2312, and I really liked this book as well. Uh, I think they're they're covering a lot of the same themes. They're using a lot of the same literary devices. Uh, the language in this book, I think, is much more um, easy to... It goes Accessible? down easier, I think, than Kim Stanley Robinson's prose. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I like Kim Stanley Robinson. They're just very different writers, but they're dealing with similar themes. Uh, and I found, uh, I, I, will, I agree with everything Erica said. Uh, basically, it was, uh, spoiler alert, my favorites of the, mm. the nominees. Uh, I just thought it was... Uh, I mean, the things I, I like it when the the books that are nominated for these prizes are unlike any other books I have read. Um, mm-hmm. And even though I found parallels with 2312, this book was completely different than 2312 and uh, completely different than any other book I have read in a long time. Uh, and plus, it has a polar bear that uh, attacks people. So that's fun. <laughs> that's and there's a monkey later, too. Oh, yes. Yes. There's a monkey. And a, 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 a bird of some sort, right? <laughs> Yeah, I think or did so. I make that up? Mm-hmm. Or is the monkey what I'm thinking of? I don't know. No. I don't remember if there's a bird or a monkey. There but a there's, bird a bird, there's a bird mentioned a few times. Mm. Okay, yeah. there you go. But I liked it. Uh, all kinds of wacky stuff happens. It's and true. I enjoyed it. And plus, there's this whole plot about uh, the, the rich uh, character's father or is rich, and he has a whole bunch of empty apartments, right? Which is something that happens now. They're rich people mm-hmm. just buy lots of apartments everywhere and keep them empty. So, yeah. Real estate uh, sucks even in the post-apocalypse. Yeah. And then, That's true. It's funny you mentioned 2312 because there's uh, like a, f- a couple of flashbacks we get that are, are people who were in New York while the mm-hmm. while the uh, the flooding was happening, and I thought I thought it's basically like some of these characters were in twenty three twelve. That's right. And then this is what happens after. <laughs> it's yeah. a sequel. Yeah, Aline. I thought this book was a slog. Um, <laughs> I I oh, 
So the I I appreciated this the city building and the way that um they talk about the geothermal energy and and that kind of stuff. I thought was I thought was interesting. I just I wasn't interested in anything else. Um it it had an orca and I didn't care. I just <laughs> I didn't I didn't the polar bear was kind of cool but like um I and I don't know what it it was it's another one where I don't know what it was I think part of it is because I I I live downtown in a city where I can go out and I can see people sleeping in cardboard boxes um I I can also see the tall buildings where people own uh, condos and they don't live there. And I, I think that's part of it is like these elements of society that I think are so problematic now were such a big part of the book. And I go to books to escape the things that I can see when I walk out my door. And, um, I mean, not universally, but kind of in my science fiction type stuff, I don't, I, I don't necessarily want that. And I think that was a lot of it. And then I just didn't, I didn't like the characters. I thought they were all kind of jerk faces and I (laughs) I just wasn't, wasn't interested. I wasn't interested in learning more about the stratification of the city. I wasn't, it just, this is my bottom pick. Uh, So Scott and I are nemeses once again. Wow. Oh man, I you're know. my nemesis too because Blackfish City is also my number one. <laughs> oh no! Uh, oh no! Yeah, I I have this uh, hovering uh, sort of tied for tied for second, third. Um, oh my god! I, I, I liked it a lot. <laughs> it reminded me more than twenty three twelve. It reminded me of um, Annalie Newitz's Autonomous, which we read last year. Oh, see, so didn't like that either. It, which was it's about <laughs> kind of like. Uh, experimenting on humans in a post-apocalyptic, you know, seas have risen, old nation states have fallen apart kind of order, but with less uh, weird robot sex. So it's got that going for it. (laughs) It Um, does. It's true. Also, the stuff with the breaks um, and some of the the pros as well uh, actually gave me, and Scott won't know what I'm talking about here, uh, a William Gibson kind of feel. I I got, I actually kind of got like a William Gibson feel from a lot of this book, which for me is a really good thing. That is a high. I don't know what you're talking about either. High compliment. It, I haven't read. It, Gibson I have read either. Neuromancer. Okay, it, it it gave me some of that feel, which I really liked. Um, I liked the setting. Uh, I liked autonomous. I I uh, liked twenty through twelve. Um, uh, and I like this book. I think it's really good. I like how the characters uh, come together in ways that surprised me when as we uh, get the backstory on them. Um, I didn't think they were jerk faces. Um, so there's that. <laughs> there um, are some of them. I think. Some of them are, some some of them are jerk faces. It's true. Um, and uh, how they all interact and that the fact that we end up, you know, on the top of a, like there's like a prison break from a, <laughs> a, a skyscraper in the, with a, and there's a, like a monkey and I'm monkey. like, it goes to places that you're like, what just, huh? okay, I'm going to go with it. A lot of surprising places. So yeah, I, uh, I liked it a lot too. I think it's, I think it's really unusual and strange, you know, uh, and the setting is unlike anything you've seen before in a lot of ways, but, um, but, uh, yeah. It was good. I liked it too. Sorry, Aline. That's okay. You're going to need to center on this one. That's okay. Your reasons for not liking it, it totally makes totally. sense to me. Because like, yes. I, I agree. Like I said, uh, I didn't really care that much about the characters. So I'm I'm, I'm on team jerk face. Like, sure. <laughs> I just <laughs> I, I just liked everything else enough that it more than made up for that. I liked the cover. I thought the cover was really cool. <laughs> okay. It's a good it cover. It does have a good cover. Mm-hmm. 
All right. And that leaves uh, The Calculating Stars by Mary Robinette Kowal. This is an um, alt-history story about the early days of the space race because a meteorite uh, blows up the East Coast at the very beginning of the story. The the space race happens in a different way and uh, and with some different motivations. But in the end, it's a... Uh, it's it's kind of weaving the familiar story, which I love that kind of stuff about the early days of of the space race and you know figuring out how to send people to space and the the test pilots who are going to pilot the ships and then the main character is a, a woman who is very clearly going to be fated to be the first woman in space, um, but how she gets there is kind of an unusual path. Um, another. Another um, Jewish main character, and that, and there is some interesting stuff there about her relationship with um, uh, some of the the black characters, where she's got her uh, her privilege as a white person, but she's also got her problems because she's not she because she's a Jewish person, and so it sort of depends on the interactions with other people about sort of like how she fits, and of course, being the woman who is innately qualified to do this, but because she's a woman, she's saw seen as a curiosity or uh simply not up for the job so it is that that story ultimately about elma becoming the first woman astronaut and the unusual path she has to get there but there's a lot of other kind of dramatic things and there's a speaking of jerk faces there's a a character who is very clearly (laughs) fated to be the superstar astronaut of the country and uh he's a jerk face uh and that doesn't even begin to uh describe it and uh and yeah that's it's the story of how after this horrible thing happens on the east coast uh humanity kind of gets together and uh, figures out how to send people into space to possibly save humanity and uh i'm gonna say that i'll go first on this one and just say this was the easy one for me to rank because I liked this book far and away better than any other book I've read in the last Mm -hmm. year. Uh, The only book that comes close to it is its sequel, which was published two months after this book was published. I think this, The Calculating Stars, is exactly the kind of book that I enjoy, apparently. Um, I loved it. I loved everything about it. So, tops, tops for me. People should go out and read it immediately. Pause this podcast and go read a book. Uh, Aline... (laughs) What about you? Same. I adored it. I read it. So I bought it in the bookstore um, the week it came out because I know people who know the author and I was like, sure, I'll support a friend of a friend, basically, you know, and I wasn't I'd never read any of her other books. I I read the short story that was nominated for Hugo a couple of years before and thought it was okay, but wasn't super in love with it. And got home, read this book, and I, I like, I, I inhaled it. I loved it so much. And then, um, I can't remember if I was like, you know, bouncing, waiting for the second one, <laughs> or if, if I then went and got used an audible credit to get the calculating stars again and listen to it. But either way, I've read both the calculating stars and the faded sky, I think twice and listened to them once. And I love them in both formats. I, I think they work so well, but I will say, um, Kowal reads, 
um, reads the books for the for the audiobooks, and she is amazing. She's also like a, a performer. She's a puppeteer, <laughs> yeah, and so, a professional oh, like audio narrator. She does other yeah, people's books as well. Yeah. yeah, she does. So, and she she's just she's amazing. And it gave more dimension to the characters. Very, I think, very well fleshed out characters. Listening to her read them, it ju- it was just a really great experience. Anyway, I love them. Also, my top pick. Spoilers for the end of the show. <laughs> and uh, people can listen to episode. 427 of The Incomparable, where we talk about this book and its sequel as well. Um, Scott's wife is on that episode, but not Scott. So, Scott, Mm what did you think of this book? Uh, There's a reason I wasn't on that episode. Uh, (laughs) I had read the book, uh, and I knew that people really liked it, so I didn't want to be the person who thought it was fine uh, and and brought everybody down. So, uh, I decided... So, do it now. uh, But I will, because I thought it was fine. Uh, I don't even... I don't think it's my favorite... uh, book of hers frankly um i it just didn't didn't hit me the way it hit other people i didn't really care for the main character so that's a problem uh with the book and i didn't you know i just it it just wasn't for me so that that's all i got all right it's well well written but uh just not for me erica here, here, Scott. Here, here. <laughs> um, I, I'll do the full disclosure. I do know Mary Robinette, like not super well, but we've hung out. And she is uh, one of the nicest people and honestly, one of the greatest writers that, that I know. She's so, so good. Um, and I've, I've read some of her other stuff, but it, this book was very much aimed at Jason. Yay. And not, not at me. <laughs> uh, I yeah, I, I don't like alternate history so much, so it kind of had that against it. Uh, I I really just don't care about space stuff, so so that that didn't uh, didn't feel great for me. And kind of the way Aline, you were saying you had some trouble with Blackfish City because uh, y- you kind of more wanted escapey stuff. That the the stuff that I want escape from is the sexism and racism that I have to deal with in my everyday life. And this book did such a really really good job of portraying what the sexism you know the casual sexism sure. and and blatant racism was of the time that you know it's it was very well done but it was too well done because i just mm. i couldn't handle it i found myself not wanting to pick this book up to read it again because i knew i was going back into that world and into that place that's so well described that icky feeling that i get in my stomach when i have to deal with that sort of stuff so i felt like it was this is uh, Jason's right. It's a really good book. And if if the things about it sound good to you, you should definitely go out and buy it and its sequel and get the audio versions and listen to them. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you if you want to if, if the idea of an alt history version of the space race with fictionalized you know mm-hmm. characters, but still it's that same kind of thing to, to get to a space and the moon. And then the second book is like to get people to Mars and an adventure along the way of like, how are we going to get people to Mars and what are there going to be accidents and how do we survive and all of those things? If that hits you as like, oh, man, that is right up my alley those are the books for you if that stuff doesn't do it for you well that's no. what those books are so don't yeah. go there yeah if you want if you want something uh that she wrote that was like fantasy there's a lovely i don't know if it's a short story or a novelette called uh the uh, worshipful society of glovers which is i think my favorite thing that she's ever written so go go read that if if you're more team erica here well and what yeah. what is yeah what else is she i mean i like ghost talkers 
that, she wrote that was Ghost really Talkers, good. And she wrote, I don't know what it's called, but there's the a glamorous series. Histories. Yes, the glamorous. There you go. Yeah, I've read all of those, and they are they're very good. I enjoy them. Mm-hmm. I've only yes. read one of those, but it was also really good. Um. So yeah, she's no, she's really and good. She sneaks, she sneaks the doctor into every one of those. Yes, yes. The, that's the Sorry. series where there's a, a a character who appears who's definitely one of the uh, one of the Doctor Who uh, incarnations, <laughs> and it's just thrown in yeah. there. Who doesn't love that? I basically read The Calculating Stars, then read all of her other novels <laughs> between waiting for, between reading The Calculating Stars and waiting and The Faded Sky because I was just waiting. And so I read all of them in like two months. That is six books. And now has come the time when I am going to ask you to choose to rank <gasps> these books from favorite to least favorite. Erica? Boy, okay. So as I already mentioned, Blackfish City is number one. Uh, not by a ton, though, because I, I felt uh, like I I say I loved it. I, di- I don't love it in the way that I've loved some of the books in previous years, but this is the one that came came closest to that. Uh, and then the next three, um, you could almost just like roll the die. And okay. <laughs> just, you can like, tie be, them like, all I don't if know, you want. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to do that, though. I will I will say that Witchmark is number two, uh, Trail of Lightning is number three, and then Spinning Silver is number four. Uh, the Calculating Stars, despite being very good, just not for me, so that's number five. And then far down the list is The Poppy War, which was super <laughs> duper not for me. And then at number 10, The Poppy War. Um, <laughs> okay, that. Aline? So sometimes when I talk to y'all... And then we have we we have to we have to rank them. It's, the um, makes us. <sighs> it's harder, but this time it's easy. You helped make it easier because oh. I basically had my thirds. I had the two books I liked the most, which I knew about, and the two books I liked the least, which I already had. But I wasn't sure about the middle two. And talking with you helped crystallize what order those would go in. So my order is number one is of course the calculating stars. Number two is trail of lightning. Number three is Spinning Silver. Number four is The Poppy War. Five is Witchmark. And six is the one I can't remember, Blackfish Black Black City. <laughs> I liked it so well, I can't remember what it's called anymore. All right. Ouch. Uh, <laughs> that the, the other one, whatever. Um, the other whatever. one, whatever. Process of elimination, that one. It is, yes. I figured it out. I figured out what she was talking about. Uh, Scott, Good job. what about you? So, interesting. Uh, I had my list, and this conversation has not changed at all. Uh, but uh, it is uh, exactly the same as... Uh, Aline's, except you swap the last with the first. So Blackfish City is the first. (laughs) Calculating Stars is the last on my list. And the rest are the same. Trail of Lightning, Spinning Silver, Poppy War, and Witchmark. Wild. That is. That's never happened, Scott. That's never, ever happened. You're like inverse nemeses with a twist. (laughs) That's right. We have have more in common than we disagree with. (laughs) But the disagreement is so strong. (laughs) So for me, it's the calculating stars number one trail of lightning number two blackfish city number three the poppy war number four spinning silver number five and witch mark number six uh and that means that our consensus is trail of lightning at the top mm-hmm. uh, okay. interesting followed by blackfish city sorry aline Followed by the calculating stars. Aline and I like it just too much. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Then spinning silver, the poppy war and witch mark. 
So, yeah, that's okay. But everybody gets to have their own ranking, and people out there could read all six books too. I think that the uh, some some disagree, but I think they're all good. I did not, you know, some years, some short lists, mm-hmm. and in fact, it might have happened with the Hugos this year. There's at least one book that I'm like, mm, no, no, no. <laughs> I didn't do that this time with the Nebula nominees. They're all good. Uh, I like some of them better than others, but I thought they were all good, and I read all of them and thought, yep, I can see why this was nominated, uh, which sometimes, some years, that doesn't happen. I'm like, why? Hmm? Yes. Okay. I don't know. The thing I like about the Nebulas more than the Hugos is I feel like they're all, even if I don't like them, they're all well-written, usually. Uh, I would say 90% of the time. Since the writers are the ones who are nominating them. Exactly. So I I appreciate the craft, if not the enjoyment of it. Uh, Whereas the Hugos, you get some and you think, hmm. Yeah. No. What's wrong with you? I guess, yeah, there must be somebody. Yeah, the Hugo's is the one where I start theorizing of like, this person must have a fan base or be popular in some other way and it's given them visibility or, you know, all those things, which may or may not be true. And awards are literally just a big popularity contest. But true. Uh, I think it's never a good sign when I start to just sort of muse to myself about what other reasons could have been involved for this book to be nominated <laughs> because it certainly wasn't merit. And that, that happens sometimes. So uh, not this time. Not with these. These were all, uh, I thought, solid. Mm-hmm. Um, and that brings us to the end. So uh, I guess it's just time to thank my my guests for joining me and doing the homework because this is a thing we do every year now, apparently, is we read the books on the short list. And that, there's that moment when the nominees come out and you're like, well, here goes my next six months. <laughs> Gonna <laughs> yep. be reading nominees. That's just how it is. So Aline Sims, thanks for reading all the nominees. Thanks for having me. Uh, Erica Ensign, thanks for reading six you know, five out of six uh, liked is this still is, a pretty good batting average. Yeah. And I think this is the first time that I've actually been on a Nebula uh, oh, episode this is because I managed to get the homework done. So yay me. Yeah. And it's not just because you've won Hugo Awards and so the Nebulas can, you know, pound sand. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a reason. I, I would never use that as no, a reason, No, no, of course not. There's no sand in Canada. Scott McNulty, thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Jason, for forcing us to rank these books. Yes, you're welcome. (laughs) You were going to read them anyway, but now you've also ranked them. That's right. (laughs) Reading and ranking, the two R's. I find it most valuable to rank them long after you've forgotten them. (laughs) (laughs) It makes it much easier. I think that makes for the best sort of ranking system. I agree. And thanks to everybody out there. We hope we've maybe given you some ideas about books for you to read next. You don't have to read all six like we did. Uh, We're dumb. But you could read uh, ones that strike your fancy. And we'll be back uh, next week with more of The Incomparable and in a month or two when we talk about the Hugo nominees too. But until then, goodbye. Goodbye.